My name is Vice Admiral Sandy Stowes, retired from the United States Coast Guard. I am the author of Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters. You are listening to The Shadows Podcast. What does freedom mean to you, and why does that matter? I am Jay Lee, host of the Live Free series, and to answer those questions, we are going on a journey with people from all walks of life to discover what it takes to overcome the most significant obstacle on our path, which is our own mind and mindset, and turn it into our greatest asset on our journey to freedom. So join me on the Live Free series as we go on a mission to eradicate enslaved mindsets and to foster freedom. Hey, Shadows listeners. If you're looking to make some extra income that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. I got certified through Giant in 2018 and I've been teaching ever since. Just to give you some context, they used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek, just to name a few, were regular speakers. They have over 500 coaches worldwide, working in over 127 countries, and are being hired by companies like Google, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. I know this might sound intimidating, but Giant will literally give you everything you need to start your own coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. You get an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from all around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business. This is both for experienced coaches, consultants, and those who are looking to start coaching and consulting with little to no experience. If you wanna hear the really good news, this whole workshop, it's free, 100% free. And you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Why not give it a shot? What's better than making a positive change in people's lives and making some extra money in the process? Giant launches a new hiring cohort every month. Now, they only have 20 coaching slots available each month, so it's first come, first serve. So go ahead and make sure you reserve your spot. If you're ready to make an impact and get paid doing it, go to giant.tv forward slash shadows, giant.tv forward slash shadows. All right, everybody, I want to welcome you to another episode of the Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer, and today I am joined by a good friend of mine, Jay Lee. Jay, we've been trying to make this thing happen for quite some time, and finally, the stars are aligned. We have you here. Welcome to the Shadows Podcast. Thanks for having me, Trip. and you know, some things are just worth the wait, you know? Exactly. And, we, and <laughs> we're, we're actually all banged up here today. You, uh, you, you got your arm in a sling. 
I didn't even tell you uh, before we got on. I have a little stomach bug. So oh, we talk boy. about dedication being on here. Yeah, this is near dedicated. What are you actually sitting on? You got a porter potty over there? What, what are we doing? <laughs> That's all I will say is I no have comment. a stomach bug going today. <laughs> but but uh, is that a virtual background? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. So uh, t- tell our listeners uh, what, what happened with you. Uh, you know, this this past week, it's got you a little dinged up. Man. You know, it's just I need to practice what I preach. You know, I tell my son not to mess around because you know it's just, he's gonna get hurt, and that's what I was doing, just messing around, fooling around with some friends, and look at me now, got a sling. I see what you're supposed to say when we're on the air is you were supposed to say you fought off like a group of like 12 people. Oh yeah. I mean, what I meant to say was there was this woman checking out at the uh, local Kroger down the road and uh, I had to defend her honor in the parking lot. You should see the other guy. Hey, Kroger guys, guys, yeah. guys, guys. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a couple dogs too and a lion. Oh, man. Well, good, for, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Well, folks, Jay is a trainer, speaker, coach, Founder and president of Golden Compass. He is the host of the Live Free series. He's also part of the Lima Charlie Network. And you are currently in Virginia, correct? That is correct. Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach. How's the weather over there? Right now, it is not great. Raining. Really? Yeah. We got this like weird after winter, pre-spring. Doesn't really know what it wants to do yet. Mm. Yeah. So... We actually have sunshine. This, I think you're the first guest where I have better weather than the guest. So this is really nice. Dang. Where are you at again? Alabama. That's right. That's right. Alabama. We kind of get like the tail end of tropical storms. And you, it, we're in a spot where like we get the the tail end of the tornado weather, tail end of tropical storms. <laughs> and it's just like it's constantly coming. One of the two. Um, I was going to record with someone last week. And the internet was out because we had a storm and I had to pretty much scrap the whole thing. But anyways, let's, let's go ahead and jump into our five rounds questions uh, presented by giant worldwide. First question for you book recommendation for our listeners out there. Book recommendation. Definitely going to go with the 15 invaluable laws of growth. That's what I've been. I mean, I've been all over recently in the past. I read it every year. And uh, no, it's great. I mean, it, it's all about if you want to if you want to change anything in your life, whether that is your self, for one, um, your finances, your leadership, anything, uh, this book will help you 100 percent. Yeah, I think it, we've talked about this one before somewhere. We must have. We did. I, I talk about it all the time. It's like my favorite book. Yeah. I can't remember where, but we've, we've mentioned it somewhere. All right. One thing we have not talked about that I'm curious to hear. Favorite oh Disney character. Favorite Disney character. Okay. I can get down with this. I've been watching a lot of Disney lately. Okay. Does Pixar count? Pixar counts. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go with Dusty Crophopper. Interesting. Dust, Dusty Crophopper from Planes. Dude is awesome. I mean, he's a plane, I guess, but yeah, legit. Crop duster. In Disney. Yeah. Yeah, he's a dude. I mean, it's he's a crop duster, wants to be a big time racer, doesn't listen to anyone, does what he wants, gets a coach, which is super important, obviously, and crushes it. And he's serving his purpose. I love it. Love that little dude. I like how you started it with he's a crop duster before, <laughs> before anything else. That's what you started with. Heck yeah. What gives you meaning? What gives me meaning? That's a great, 
deep philosophical question trip almost as deep um, as the one before almost yeah almost yeah. um i can't say dusting crops because i'm not a crop duster but i guess what gives me meaning is and i don't want to sound cliche here uh but serving others and i say that not as like oh look at me you know i'm like i commit myself to service but it's just i felt you know i guess my whole life i've always just that's kind of been my thing is that's what I like to do with my time, you know, and if I'm compensated for it, I love it. But if I'm actually helping and contribute, I guess it's more of like contributing in a meaningful way mm-hmm. that gives me purpose. Cause I feel like I'm doing something good, but it's actually benefiting someone else. I don't know. I, I, that's kind of my thing. And that's why, I mean, I joined the military and it was mainly because, um, and I don't want to go on a tangent in the five rounds here, but like when, you know, September 11th happened, I was, uh, fairly young, 11 years old, and I couldn't do anything, right? I couldn't do anything yeah. for anyone. I was, I was 11 years old. Um, I guess, man, this is kind of saying this out loud is like making me resonate with dusty crop hopper essentially. Um, but I couldn't do anything. And, um, that was just, that, that bothered me a lot. And I just wanted, so as soon as I could go, I mean, I, I enlisted when I could, and then, um, and then I went in and then, you know, didn't look back until now and now i you know even after the military i'm uh still in a in a profession where i am serving the community to kind of jump ahead we're, we're coming back you still got two questions left okay 9 11 did that kind of plant a seed in your head that this is something i want to do down the road join the military oh yeah i mean i wanted to do anything you know whether that was going to the local fire station, like, I don't know if they were sending people down to New York. I'm from Syracuse, New York. Um, so it's close enough where, where people would, would get down there, uh, to help out. Um, so if they needed extra, I mean, even taking out the trash at a fire department, like that's what I wanted to do. It's like, man, these people are doing this for each other. They don't even know each other down there. Mm-hmm. Everyone is just helping everyone. I want to be, I want to do what I can do. Like, but I don't know what I can do. A, I'm like four hours away and, you know, I'm 11. So what, what, what can I do? And that, that's kind of where I went. I was like, I'm going to do something as soon as I can. Yeah. 11. All you can do is like mow the grass or something. Yeah. If that, you know, yeah. they could get landscapers. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, can I just like take out the trash? I'll hold the door open. Like I just <laughs> high five you guys on the way out. Like what, what can I do? They're like wax the truck. They're like, no, you're definitely not waxing the truck. <laughs> get out of here. kid. <laughs> yeah. What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Man, that is, that's going to take some time. Let's see. The most embarrassing thing, a lot of embarrassing things have happened to me. Um, man, I'm trying to think of one ridiculous one. Has anything embarrassing happened since you started podcasting? Not on the air, thankfully. But now that I say that, it's probably going to happen. We'll, we'll see how soon. this episode goes. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I guess. What was it? I mean, I guess what, so when I started coaching, I was, um, getting prospects from a lead source essentially. And I got two of them mixed up and I had never seen them face to face. So I was talking on the phone to someone and they probably were in totally different demographics. Like, you know, maybe 34 year old male, um, versus a 56 year old woman and just like totally different. I don't know why I thought like maybe the, the, the woman was the 25 year old 
you know, female. And then there was a, like an older, uh, male, but yeah, I, I flipped them and I was essentially talking to, uh, the one thankfully, you know, and then just like several minutes go by and they're kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. And it's like, this is like a, a, a the initial consult. Yeah. And they're like, what? Like, then they, then they kind of like picked up like they, they, what I was saying wasn't really applicable. It's like, what are you talking about? You know? And then I like listed because like, you know, they sent me their, essentially their pain points. I'm like, you know, retirement's approaching, um, you know, want to uh, make sure your legacy box is in order, so on and so forth. He's like, no, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Um, you know, it's like, who are you? And so I literally didn't even know who I was talking to. So that was, uh, that was a good lesson learned to actually figure out who you're talking to before you're talking to them. So yeah, which you think would be standard, but yeah, there you go. Where you stop, you're like, all right, I'm starting somewhere. Hey, I'm Jay. Yeah, it's like, yeah, can we just, can we just rewind? They're like, Meh. or you just say, you know what? I don't think this is going to work out. This is not yeah. good. It's like, <laughs> you're being aggressive. Um, I can't work with you. <laughs> this, is, this is just not a good fit. Yeah. All right. Guilty pleasure of yours. Guilty pleasure of mine. Hmm. Well, as not to incriminate myself, I will, uh, let's see, keep it, keep it clean here. Um, you know, I love eating fruit snacks. Oh my God. Especially like my kid, my, my oldest is three. So we kind of like, and during the whole potty training thing, we're like, if you go by yourself, you can get a fruit snack. You know, I'm talking like, you know, the little pack of fruit snacks, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to earn some fruit snacks. And, and I was like, I'm going to have some of these fruit snacks. And I was like, oh my God, these are so good. So I'm like literally in the garage. It's like eating fruit snacks, like working on a project. So hey, good though. Got to go out of the garage real quick. And yeah, it's like normal, like normal, normal people are like drinking beers out in the garage or whatever. I'm just smoking, like eating, eating like 10, 10 bags of fruit snacks. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> that So I can actually relate to that. And my thing is, because I'm a big fruit snack person as well. Like the little... Like the shape, like the strawberry, the shape. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the brand, but um, like the blue package. Oh, my God. Dude, Welch's. Welch's. Yes. Yeah. The Welch's ones. So I'll go Gotta in the be kitchen. Welch's. Oh, yeah. You go in the kitchen and the families, you, you can pretty much eat them really quick. The small packs. Oh, yeah. Like a hand. You just put the whole handful in your and just bam. Yeah. And then <laughs> you just you're in the kitchen, out of the kitchen. You don't get caught and you don't feel bad eating them. It's not like you're eating chocolate or something like that. That's right. But all right. It's fruit. You know? Exactly. It's healthy for you. I'm eating 10 servings of fruit in, in secrecy in my garage. Yeah. So what, whatever. Five different fruits right there. <laughs> so it's a good handful at a time. Yeah. All right. Well, you survived the five rounds. Now. Yeah. Now that was the hard part. Now the easy part. Now you just talk about you. So for our audience out there, talk to us about your upbringing. My upbringing uh, grew up in Syracuse, New York, and uh, my parents were divorced when I was very young. Um, I was born at a young age, so um, probably shortly thereafter. And uh, yeah, single mom raised pretty much. I have an older sister, and it was just the two of us for a while until right around my 14th. I think like I was just going to turn 14. My little brother was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he came along and then it was three of us, uh, uh, siblings, uh, and my mom, she decided, you know, kids are getting ready to graduate high school here. So I might as well just start over. Why not? Um, <laughs> but we love him anyway. 
And but yeah, no, it was, it was, I mean, that was it. Yeah, I mean, single mom Ray, she was, you know, man, like did everything she possibly could for us. And that's where I really first learned hard work and work ethic, I should say, because I mean, she did nothing for herself. I mean, she is just like always working and essentially like me and my sister at home, um, causing a ruckus, you know, fighting with each other, you know, going down the street, whatever. Um, and just playing outside till all hours of the day and night. And, um, yeah, I mean, she, she did everything she could possibly for us and, you know, with the best, uh, she did w- with what she had and that was pretty much it, you know? And, you know, I didn't really come from anything crazy. It's like, I know what it's like to flip a light switch and the lights don't turn on cars getting repossessed. We had a car get stolen out of our driveway one time. Um, the, our little blue, it was a blue Corsica man, Chevy Corsica. That's what it was. Um, and uh it went out one day and it was just gone. I was like, man, the car's gone. And I don't even remember how old I was. Yeah, Probably like seven. I don't know. And it had gotten stolen right out of the driveway. Um, so that's kind of the neighborhood we lived in. And yeah, nothing, nothing really, uh nothing really too, I would say, uh shiny going on there. What'd your parents do? My mom, she was a city bus driver. And my dad, he was, well, he still is, um, an electronic technician. Hmm. So he kind of like worked at this company up in Syracuse where they would fix like, uh, home theater kind of receivers. And I think they did a lot of work on car, like, uh, like, uh, Motorola kind of, uh, CBs, stuff like that. And, uh, police band radios. Um, I think they had a contract with one of the, uh, police forces out there but yeah i think the uh, electronic technician and a city bus driver yeah they were divorced at a when i was i mean probably like two and a half maybe three i want to say and so yeah joint custody went to my dad's on the weekends type deal um but yeah you know that was it it just stay in syracuse until you decided to join the military oh yeah yeah my first plane ride in my life was going to boot camp yeah so and then i yeah so boot camp let's see here's here's the breakdown of my flights okay plane number one boot camp plane number two went down to dive school plane number three i'm pretty sure i jumped out of at uh fort benning i was gonna say now you jumped out of them <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i was hooked i was hooked okay yeah i think my first plane ride was actually when i joined that's actually nice. mine too yeah um what did 15 year old Jay think you were going to be doing you mentioned earlier that you had that little spark of patriotism in you when 9-11 occurred but did you know that you were going to join the military did you see yourself doing or did you see yourself doing something different than that at 15 I had a pretty good idea that that's what I wanted to do I didn't know in what capacity or anything really about it's like yeah I'll just join the military um I you know, was contemplating, um, service academies and kind of doing like the, uh, ROTC kind of thing, but my, I was not a good student in high school whatsoever. Uh, so that, uh, was a fleeting thought there. I kind of did the whole service academy thing for just like seeing what it would take to get in. And then yeah. just like all the scores and things like, yeah, not, not going to happen for me. Um, and I just call it for what it is. It's like, you know, what? um, that's, and I, I really didn't feel an intense amount of like, this is what I should be doing. But then when I was kind of looking around, it's like, maybe I'll just enlist in the military. 
but then do what? But it's like, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I was most likely going to enlist at that point. Um, if I got my act together, cause I was, I was a rap scallion. So you decided <laughs> to join in 2008 and you chose the Navy. What was it that made you pick the Navy over all the other branches? Well, full disclosure here. Uh, I went into the Navy with a SEAL contract. Um, mm. Yeah. And that's why I think I chose the Navy. I wanted to be a fighter pilot too. Uh, back in the day, you know, I think that's what I was like th- looking at when I was 15, 16. I was like, yeah. oh man, the Thunderbirds are so awesome. I'm going to go do that. That's going to be me. Uh, yeah. That's going to be me. Totally going to do that. Um, but then I was like, uh, what am I realistically going to do? And then I learned about the SEALs and all that because i mean that's what the navy recruiting office had it's like okay you know athletic you played three sports you like this um this is kind of your your value list what you kind of want to get out of the military um so yeah let's do this seal thing i was like okay cool yeah and so i got with like dive motivation everything like that started doing the pt um tests and all that and it was good that's where i first learned how to do the side stroke was at my first pt test um i think i passed by three seconds um so that's kind of cool but yeah, I didn't even know, um, you know, what, what EOD explosive ordnance disposal was when I joined the Navy, like there was nothing about it. Yeah. Nothing, no literature. There was no handouts. There was no movies. There's no books. Um, and yeah, I think I read operation red wing, um, the lone survivor by Marcus Luttrell. And Mm -hmm. that kind of just resonated with me where it's like, man, the soft community is, that's kind of where I want to go. And that's kind of what led me to getting a seal contract first. Um, but yeah, so that's why I chose the Navy. And then obviously you mentioned uh, EOD that you ended up going that route. So how did things change from going in as a seal to, uh, ending up EOD? Yeah. Well, it just so happened that my boot camp division was in the Navy. They call them 800 divisions. So that's where anyone that is going for, uh, a spec war program, whether that's seals, SWIC, the special warfare combatant craft crewmen, um, EOD diver, what have you, um, they would be putting these 800 divisions to kind of like do this dive motivator PT in the morning to kind of like be at a, at a better playing field to actually meet the, the, the PT test requirements. So I was in this division and it just so happened to be sponsored by EOD mobile unit three. And uh, in EOD, explosive warning disposal, they're like the whole breakdown. Um, they're uh, like the commands are called mobile units. So I was like, what is EOD mobile unit? They're like, we had it on our ball caps, you know, it's the cool, whatever. It's like, oh yeah, like they got recruit ball caps with EOD mobile unit three on them. Um, so we felt kind of like we, no one knew what that was. I don't think there was a single EOD contract in my boot camp division. Um, and, and real quick for our, no, our non military yeah. people. What what exactly, like in civilian terms, how would you explain what EOD is? Uh, well, EOD is essentially, it's the Navy's bomb squad. Um, in the Navy, it's special operations. It's special operations bomb technicians. So we are trained in the Navy to do, to render safe, dispose of um, explosive, ordna- uh, explosive hazards and ordnance, whether that is on land uh, or underwater. And uh, yeah, or improvised or yeah. conventional. So yeah, it's, it's kind of the full gambit. And um, well, I mean, a, a large portion of what I did was the IED threat. 
um, improvised explosive device, so homemade bombs. And um, so that's kind of like the EOD realm, which I didn't even know any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys sponsored our boot camp division, this EOD mobile unit three, and they would come out and kind of introduce themselves like, oh, you do what? That's kind of that's kind of cool. And what really got me is they're like, we work with SEALs. We support SEALs. We support the Army also. We support Rangers. We support um, Green Berets. Like any, any soft entity has EOD support. I'm like, wow, never knew that. Um, didn't even know you existed to begin with, let alone what you actually do. So I thought that was uh, fascinating, honestly. And I kind of did something that really no one really, no one does is I just went to the, the dive motivator EOD guy. I was like, Hey, uh, what does it look like to, um, to transfer? Like, can I get, can I change my contract to an EOD contract? And this guy's like, heck yeah, I'm all about that. Let's do it. You seriously want to do that? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you want to give up your steel contract and go EOD? I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, can I, is that even allowed? Like, I don't even know. I don't know what's what I'm, 18 years old, you know, um, I didn't even know EOD existed until like, I, I saw you over there, but I didn't know what you do. Um, but yeah, no, it was like, I mean, that changed the trajectory of my whole career. Wow. That, so you weren't that, washed out or nothing. It was just, no. I want to do this. I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Um, I learned about them very quickly and I just had a gut feeling. It's like, man, this is what you need to be doing. Um, and it's just so happens like the, uh, the motto of, of, EODs, you know, to, um, you know, initial success or total failure, but we are the mission, right? The mission of EOD is the protection of personnel and property, like period, end of story. Like no matter what you're doing as an EOD tech, it is always, or special operations bomb technician, it is always the protection of personnel and property. That's our main goal. It's not just going, going, blowing stuff up. We just got blocks of C4 and we're just going crazy. It is, can I explosively reduce this threat? Because it that's uh, the to, because we need to get rid of this threat to either the local population wherever we are, to our team, to us, or this infrastructure that's critical. Um, that's what we're doing, um, and that's what we're assessing. So it's like sometimes you can't just go down there and blow it up because you know that could damage that critical infrastructure or it could damage this person's home um, that it's like kind of right next to. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, that, that really resonated with me because that's what I, you know, when I was younger and September 11th, that's what I couldn't do. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And that didn't sit right with me, but now I was essentially delivered this opportunity to go and protect personnel and property. So I was like, yeah, I got to do this. Like, this is, this is speaking to me right here in my gut. So, um, I did that. And yeah, the dive motivator that was there, man, he, he really helped me out. I was on hold for a while because like that just didn't happen. And some of the other cadre was kind of pissed off that I did that. Um, but I was like, it's my life, not their career. Yeah. So, um, that's what I wanted to do. And yeah, it was, uh, it was the right decision for sure. That's awesome. And and talk about the, your trajectory of your story and how you went from seeing this happen on television to now, this is what you, you have in front of you, this opportunity. And, you talked about that, that success with that motto, you mentioned how you weren't that successful in high school. So what do you think was uh, the biggest thing you learned about yourself in your, that this small part of your journey, we're talking about from high school to um, 
venturing into the EOD world. Man, it's like I just get this picture of one of my grade school teachers or middle school teachers, you know, like glasses, gray hair, and just like, you just got to apply yourself, young man, you know, and like, this is like, that's what I have in my mind. It's like, I can see the chalkboard, I can smell the chalk. It's all dusty yep. in there because of all the chalk. And it's just like, I just had to apply myself. Man, I wasn't doing that, not even a little bit, not, not even a, a shred. And, then I started applying myself and things were happening. It's like, oh, this is what it's actually like if you give a shit, if you put some effort into it. Isn't it and crazy? Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild how far, just even, just even the realization of that, of like, okay, it's not everyone else. It's me just not applying myself and actually doing it, right? And, and that's tough because, you know, throughout all of school, it's like, oh, you just got to apply yourself. It's like, I am applying myself. I am. It's just this teacher doesn't like me. Uh, that person doesn't like me. It's like, no, it's problems in the mirror, pal, just to break the news to you. I, I told Becton the other night, I was like, I would give anything to go back and redo high school all over again because I did not apply myself at there all. There were so many parties I missed. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny because what you said, like looking back, I'm like, I, I thought I did pretty good. But I totally didn't apply myself. It wasn't, I think we all have that moment where it sparks, whether you're 25, you're 35, you're 55, where you start to live more intentionally and uh, realize that it's not everybody else's that, that's holding you down. It's it, you control your destiny. Yeah. And, and it's wild because EOD is wildly academic. Like EOD training is, is very mm -hmm. academically heavy. It's, it's mentally taxing. Um, I would, I would argue the point of, you know, everyone has seen, um, and there's been specials and like, there's a lot of talks and stuff about, um, hell week at uh, budge training. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the seal training. I would say as physically demanding as that is. And I mean, I'm not like shooting it down or anything or, or demeaning it is very physically taxing. Um, that is essentially, if you could equate that to your brain, that is what EOD school is like for many divisions. Uh, while you're going through all this stuff, it's just very mentally taxing. You have to give every ounce of your mental energy um, the whole time. What was the biggest adjustment you had to make mentally from, like you said, not really applying yourself in high school to now it's like, oh my gosh, this is a whole nother level here. It's the studying. I mean, studying and, and actually knowing why you're doing something, not just learning. It's like, okay, I read this, I read this publication and I have, I'm dealing with this ordinance item and here's the procedure. Okay. Now I'm going to go do the procedure and you do that and you're going to fail. Like I did, I, I, I failed a couple tests, um, mainly because I was doing that. And it's like, I didn't understand why I was doing it. So then therefore I would violate something like a safety. And that's what would fail you in EOD school is if you violate safeties, it's not really like a letter. It's not a letter grade because like you got so many questions wrong. It's essentially, did you die? Would you have died if you did this in real life? Yes, that's an automatic fail. Like from an action, that's an automatic fail. If it could have killed you, that's right there. And then if you do something else, an, another state, then then it's then it's a, a no go. Um, and they weight the safeties, you know, accordingly. Like in in essentially priority of how that would affect you. Yeah, you know, like if this action, if this is violated, you're gonna die. That's an automatic failure. So that's how they would uh, essentially grade tests, in, uh, at least the practical examinations in EOD school. The, I mean, the paper test, it's like, dude, I mean, it's like just so much information. It's like total memorization and you just got to get through it. 
But um, yeah, that just like buckling down and honing in and actually studying because now it actually mattered. Um, whereas in high school, that was my differing opinions. Like none of this matters, like whatever, I'm just going to join the military anyway. Um, where, you know, that's just a, that's just a piss poor attitude, you know, that's yeah. just, it's just bad. That's just a bad attitude to have. Um, and cause that would have, if I was in that realm, I would have known a little bit more about my learning style and how I actually like to learn because EOD school was a very steep learning curve. And I had to figure all that stuff out as I'm getting fed by a fire hose. And now everything actually does matter because you fail this test, you're out, yeah. you're done, you know? No, that's, that's good stuff right there. That's good advice. And you were in the Navy for, this is where your story uh, takes a little bit of a turn. You were in for 13 years. Now, most people, uh, for all of our non-military listeners, typical retirement, 20 years for military, and you were at 13. And kind of one of the little sayings, you know, like I hear it all the time from people. Hey, how many years are you in? I'm in 10. I mean, you're at the halfway point. You might as well commit and finish it out, especially if you hit 11, 12, 13 years. Like I'm going on 13, and I just did my indefinite re-enlistment about two weeks ago. And everyone is like, oh, yeah, 13. Yeah, you're definitely in for the long haul. You got 13 (laughs) and decided, nope, we got to go our separate ways. I'm I'm cutting bait. Talk to us about that process and like, you know, what were some options you were weighing? Did you consider staying in for 20? Yeah, for sure. No, I, I was riding that, you know, I was on the fence for those three years. You know, that's what they say. It's like 10 year mark. You know, that's where you got to make your decision where you're going to stay in or get out. And, um, I, I was going back and forth. It's like, okay, if I get out, then this, if I don't get out, then that, if I get out, then that, you know, and I was just going back and forth. It's like, okay, no, I want to get out. It's like, no, I want to stay in because it's going on. And then it was just, I kind of, I love my community. You know, essentially I, I say I was born and raised into it. Um, cause I was a pipeliner and that is just, I love it. You know, I, I do love my community. However, you know, with the drawdown of the wars, there was, and this is like what really kind of propelled me to getting into what I'm doing now is I felt like there was a shift in leadership where, um, we have great leaders in EOD, don't get me wrong, but there are some key players where, uh, there was too much focus on too little. Um, and that didn't sit right with me. And it was time and time again, where it's like, what are we doing here? And what, why are we, why are we kind of, uh, risk mitigating ourselves out of jobs. You know, our job is inherently dangerous and we know how to mitigate risk appropriately. So, you know, let's, let's actually do our job and and not say we can do it, but won't do it. Um, and yeah, it was just a a lot of focus again. I mean, to keep it in in short terms is too much focus on too little. And that's one contributing factor. It's like, I don't think there's one thing where it's like, Oh, I have to get out. Um, cause I was definitely like, I was on the cusp right up until January of 21. Um, uh, my, my second son was being born, uh, he was due at the end of January and I was getting ready to stay in. I was going to, I was probably going to reenlist. Um, and the command that I was going to has a selection process that you have to kind of go through. And I was going through that and it was in like COVID was kind of I mean, COVID is prevalent is like kind of changing how people would, would go through that screening process and I didn't have a date. And then they're like, okay, yeah, your date popped. I was doing like this research project. I got the email for it and everything. And, um, then it's just like, okay, your screen week is this week. Uh, you know, January 25th, 
starting. And I was like, oh, that's when, uh, that's when my son is due. Mm. And I kind of was just like, man, I just saw the writing on the walls. And, you know, at that 13 year mark, I'm, you know, personal finance coach, leadership and communication. But, you know, I always look at the, the time and the numbers where seven years, that's the better part of a decade. And, you know, it's not easy. That's not easy. And, and I just kind of had a look in the mirror. It's like, if you miss this right now to go screen, what else are you going to miss? And are you okay with that? You know, that's the biggest thing. Um, and again, I just had to be honest with the guy in the mirror and I'm like, no, you're not okay with that. And this is not what you need to be doing. And so I texted a, a trusted friend of mine who was the, who was the O boss over there where I was trying to go. And at, at, the, at that particular command, I was like, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. You know, he kind of knew like I was going to be screening and all that. And I was like, I'm not totally invested in this process right now. And I'm thinking about actually getting out instead. He's like, if that's how you feel, you need to let everyone know right now. Yeah. Um, and I did, I sent that email out. It's like, thanks everyone for your time. However, I just, you know, I respectfully bowed out, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not committed to this process and I don't want to waste anyone's time, um, or my own. And they respected that. They're like, great. You know, thanks for letting us know and good luck. Pretty much. There's no harm, no foul. Um, now if I were to drag that out, yeah, there would have been a lot of animosity. If I'm just like, if I know that I'm not invested in this, I'm just going to waste a lot of time. Yeah. A we'll lot of energy. In, we'll out. Yeah. And that's going to show, especially when you're screening for this command, like they're going to know they are going to know and uh, it's going to show and then it's going to get exploited. And then, you know, you can only, you can only fake it for so long over there. Um, and so, yeah, I was just real, you know, I was real with myself. That's, that's the thing is like, you know, I, you have to be real with yourself and, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, are in the military with families. I mean, I'm talking to one right now and my heart goes out to you guys, right? It's just like, that's one of the hardest things as service members that we do, I think is when we got to go on the trip and the family is still there and it's like, yeah. see you later. It's like, we, I mean, we know what we're signing up for. They don't really know or understand completely at all. They're supportive, but they're still that unknowing. So that's why I always say that the families make the biggest sacrifice for sure. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you trip. And you know, my, while, I'm, while I'm saying this, you and, uh, and the sacrifice of your family for my sake, for sure. I, I appreciate that. Speaking of which, how did that conversation go with your wife? Oh, she was thrilled. <laughs> yeah. Because I was, I mean, she was, she was supportive either way. Um, I know what she wanted, mm -hmm. definitely the exit, but I just, I, I told her the same thing where it's like, I can't fully commit to getting out right now, you know, yeah. while I was still deciding. And she's like, you know, either way, you know how I feel about it. But if you, if you feel like you need to stay in, like, that's what you need to do. We're going to be behind you a hundred percent. And just knowing I have that support was, was huge. And yeah, no, it was, it was, she was very relieved. Honestly, when I, when I broke the news, I was like, yeah, I just sent the email, not screening and I'm going to get out. And yeah. Timing plays a large part in a lot of the decisions that we make. Do you think that if uh, you and your wife wouldn't have been uh, in that situation where y'all have a newborn on the way, do you think you would have stayed in? Do you think that would have changed anything? It's hard to say because we had yeah. one 
already, you know, our oldest son, he was one and a half, I want to say. So yeah, he's still frame. really young. So I'm still, I was still thinking about, it's like, well, I mean, he's one and a half, you know, seven years. I mean, that's, I mean, eight or he'll be nine time. and a half, you know? Um, and those are like the fun, those are fun years. Um, so I'm told. Uh, and they get the teenager age. You're not fun anymore. Yeah. You know, if, if they were teenagers, you're like, heck yeah. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Kristen, you got it. I'm gone. <laughs> teenagers get boring. They get boring when they get like 13, 14. <laughs> no, but yeah, it was, it was definitely on my mind and yeah, it's hard to say, you know, if, if that wasn't the case, if I was going to miss the birth of my son, yeah, then I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. Probably, I probably still would have got there eventually, but yeah. that would have been tough because that would have like, you know, timing is everything. And it just so happened that screen week lined up, lined up with uh, my youngest due date. Yeah. It, when you decided, hey, I'm, I'm transitioning out of the military, what was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome in that transition process? <laughs> I don't even know. There's just, so, I mean, there's, so, I guess, you know what? I do know. I mean, there it's inundating. There's so much stuff you have to do to get out of the military, which it's like, you think you're just going to get out and like, cool, you know, see you later. You guys don't have to pay me anymore. They're like, turn off yeah, the lights. Can't. Like it's last episode of cheers or yeah, something. They're like, uh, no, hold on a second. You got to go do all of these things, go to all these appointments, do this class, get this capstone, do this. Oh yeah. Also there's your VA thing that you got to do, fill out this paperwork, do all this stuff. I'm like, okay, that's just like to get processed. That's just to start the process. Now I'm not even talking about actual transition where now I'm going to be talking to normal people, civilians, and I need to figure out how to speak their language. No one knows what a jump master is. No one knows what a demolition supervisor is, team leader, whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, I blew up X thousands of pounds of HE and, you know, jumped out of X amount of planes and they're like, cool, but how can you help me in this company? Um, so I think that was the biggest hurdle is, was, um, translating my military experience to actual English yeah. and the civilian world or relating that to a client. Yeah. Should I say? Cause now it's like, you know, I work for myself, which is like, that's what I had to do because it's like, man, I've already, I've worked for a huge organization and I can't go back there. I can't, I ain't going back. <laughs> you can't take me back. So yeah, that's kind of what I, what I did. And, um, yeah, that, that's definitely super difficult to translate that military experience and then just kind of retool your jargon, even though you don't think you have it, it's definitely, it's definitely there. And I catch yeah. myself doing it from time to time, but I, I, I have gotten a lot better, um, with that. And it's, it's very important because, you know, a lot of my story is from the military and, uh, you know, a lot of the reasons why I do what I do now is because of some of the experiences I had in the military. Let our listeners know what it is that you do now. Well, as the, uh, well, no longer the CEO, I just dished that off to a very good friend of mine, Ivan Ingram. We can include him in this. He's the CEO of Golden Compass. You're president, um, right? I am the, I'm the founder and the president of Golden Compass. And uh, that is a, a coaching firm. We focus on leadership, communication, and personal finance. And the cornerstone of the company is definitely rooted in personal finance. Um, I was a personal finance coach first. And then as I started doing budgets with, you know, leaders in the community, I'm like, man, I know your reputation. 
and I know why people think the way that, you know, I, well, I don't know. I didn't know why they thought the way that I just like our perception of this person. So it's like, for example, you have a leader that's all about the men, the mission, the command, right? That's what they care about. The command members and women. Right. And then you have the opposite side of the coin. That's like, I'm going to chase rank. I'm going to make myself look good. How can I write this eval or fit rep or whatever all the other service branches call calls them. Um, to make myself look good. So I get promoted. I'm chasing rank, chasing awards and boom, that's what I care about. That's what Mm -hmm. I make decisions based on what's popular amongst my peers. Cool. We're going to go this way instead of what the actual mission is and what the men and the women of the command need from me. And we just think that those are just bad leaders. They're bosses. It's like they're in leadership positions. And it's like, great. You know, it's like, we don't really think highly of them. However, I was doing budgets with a couple, a few actually, and a light switch turned on because I was doing that. I'm like, man, there's a common thread here that I have to keep pulling. The, the general uh, qualities, right, that were, that were consistent across the board for the, you know, that, that, the, the chasing ring, chasing awards scenario was very overextended personal finance wise, very overextended. Like, so I'm talking like living way outside the means, several car notes, several, uh, homes. So it's like your prime, their primary residence, several, um, uh, rentals, some, most of like half or, you know, a majority, or even, even just like, even if one was vacant, that was like really putting a strain on them. Um, and maybe they're nearing retirement and they're kind of looking at all the numbers and everything. And now they, that is why they were chasing rank, chasing awards so they can get more money because they needed more money because they're, they were hurting, they were hurting in their personal lives. And so that's when I was like, oh man, my perception is totally wrong. Like this person is not just a complete asshole. They are hurting deeply. And still, I mean, that's like, that's where, that's where I then really got into the leadership side of the house because like, this is connected. This is connected hundred um, percent. If people have better personal finances in their homes, then they will be better leaders. And then that was kind of reinforced when I was doing uh, more budgets, right? Uh, with the other, other leaders in the community and the good ones, right? The good leaders that were making decisions based off of the best interests of the command members, the mission and what we needed. Um, they were, consistently investing in retirement. They lived within their means. They were using a written budget and they were, um, uh, they had an emergency fund and they were investing uh, regularly in their retirement. Um, those, those basic things right there, that, that was like the com those were the commonalities between that other scenario, um, versus the people that were chasing rank, chasing awards. And I was like, man, this is crazy. You know, I did that never dawned on me that that would have such an effect. However, it 100% did and does, you know, for that matter. So that's how I got into the leadership side of the house. And that's what we do now uh, with Golden Compass LLC. It is a leadership communication and personal finance coaching practice. Well, question to backtrack, but before I do that, if listeners want to find out more about Golden Compass, where can you point them to? We are on Facebook. We are on LinkedIn. Um, We have we sponsor a show, the Live Free Series, which is hosted by yours truly. So you can always listen to me there. Um, and yeah, those are those are the best ways, definitely. Uh, we have we're on Instagram too, uh, for sure. 
definitely I'm most active on LinkedIn, uh, me personally and uh, for the company. Um, so yeah, and Facebook. We you just seem got more like Facebook. a LinkedIn kind of guy. I'm definitely more into LinkedIn because yeah. it's like, you know, it's starting to kind of seem a little bit Facebook-ish where it's like, you know, it's like, okay, let's get back to like what we're actually trying to do here. Focus. It on is starting to kind of feel that way. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely the, I think the ideal platform for networking, connecting, mm-hmm. uh, which is huge. And um, yeah. And, and just growing a business and, and your personal brand. Vaughn, did she connect us on LinkedIn? Probably. I think we yeah. were connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we were. I mean, yeah. it's, it is the best. I mean, LinkedIn, you're getting linked up. I mean, it's definitely a good, it's, it's a great platform. So yeah, yeah. Um, the company's on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, our CEO, Ivan Ingram, he's on LinkedIn and we, you can connect with all of us there. And uh, yeah, we do have a Facebook page also. Now, before we get into your podcast, I have to ask where you went from uh, explosive ordinance disposal to personal finance coach. Yes. How, how did that happen? Where did that love come from? Well, that is kind of a long story. So I'll try to give you the cliff notes. Um, it was, it was, I mean, the, the, the 30,000 foot view is I, I, money almost killed me. Like money, money almost killed me. And it was, solely based off of the decisions that I was making. Uh, it wasn't because the credit card companies were after me and, you know, this bank was after me or whatever the case may be. It was because of my mismanagement of my money, the mismanagement of what was given to me. Um, and just that really. And, and I almost paid the ultimate price for it. And what's worse is my team, almost paid the ultimate price for it because I was too distracted to do my job properly. And, uh, with EOD, the bottom line is not, you know, several million dollar budget that you're, you know, making sure is in the black. It is, uh, the 20 guys that you love just like brothers, their lives. That's, that's the bottom line. And, uh, because I was so distracted by everything that I was doing, the mismanagement, you know, I almost, I am, I almost had to explain, well, actually I wouldn't even been around cause I would, I would definitely been gone too. But um, yeah, someone would have had to explain why their, why their husbands and dads and brothers and sons were not home. And it was, it would have been because I was not doing my job properly. So first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. Second, how far was this before you, uh, you ended up separating from the military? This was in 2014, so a few years ago, a few years prior. Okay. And is that kind of when you started getting the, the thought in your head that uh, this might not be what, what I want to do? Like maybe there is something for me with this, this finance piece. Well, actually, I, knew, I wasn't even a personal finance coach at that point. Like, I mean, my finances were a wreck. Um, and it was at that point where I was like, okay, something has to change. So... And it, and it, honestly, it wasn't even at that moment where that mm-hmm. situation went down. Like that went down. My team was super supportive. Like no one got hurt or injured. Um, it was essentially an ID that I missed. There was two of them, one low ordered right next to our command and control element. The other one was six feet away from where I was. And the, but based on the size and the, what it was and the direction it was pointed, um, my teammate that was with me, myself, 
And then our C2 element that I talked about, it was pointed directly kind of at us and where our C2 element was about 30 meters behind us. It was about the size of a paint can lined with steel ball bearings, like in a convex shape. So, or I'm sorry, a concave shape, like inside. So that would have just focused all those steel ball bearings exactly down the path that we were uh, standing. And this thing was six feet away from where I was, where my teammate was. This wasn't and training. This was like live. This was in Afghanistan in the middle of the day. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was, yeah. Afghanistan in the middle of the day, about an hour South of Kabul uh, is where we were at this point in time. And um, yeah, that was it. I mean, I didn't even know it was there. Someone, one of our partner force told me I was working on the, the ID that low ordered, you know, collecting evidence and, and stuff like that. And then our terp, our interpreter comes up to me. He's like, Hey, uh, one of the local police guys says that there's another ID in the vicinity of where we are right now. It's like, where, where is it? You know, and a, how does he know that B where is it? Um, super sketchy that he would know that. Um, and why is he just telling about us now? Why is he telling us this now? Um, but that's besides the point, right? It was like, we already had an ID go off and it was cell phone initiated. So I knew like, if there's a threat of something else in the area, I need to find it right now. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, it's over here. And my buddy was still standing over there. So I like cleared over to him or, I mean, I, I essentially took my same path or whatever. Um, then I cleared up to where he said there was an ID six feet away from where we were standing. And sure enough, there was fully hooked up, ready to rock. And it was, I mean, again, the size of a pink and so about a gallon size can. And, um, this would have, this would have killed us for sure. Like the, the HE and this alone would have killed me and my buddy that were six feet away and the incorporation of the steel ball bearings. There's probably like 150 to 250 at least in this thing. Um, that would have shredded us and our C2 element would have been severely wounded at a minimum, um, at a minimum. So this thing is like, I find it after I was told it was there, uncover it, cell phone initiated. So that's like immediate action at that point as an EOD guy. It's like, you can't back out like everyone, because someone could be calling it right now and it could go off literally in the next nanosecond. Yeah. Um, so drop down to a knee. This thing's like literally in between my legs, um, figure out how it works, render it safe. And then I'm just like, taking a knee and it's like trying to breathe and just like telling the story it's like still hard to breathe yeah. and thinking about it um i just remember when the phone was hooked up you know and it still had power going to it there was four missed calls on it you know so that means someone called this thing four times we were standing there for about 40 minutes that were staring at us in the crosshairs staring at us calling this thing and it just it didn't go off four times um we have stuff in place that kind of helps us out for that kind of thing. But you know, one did go off. So there was a break in the, in the, in, in our protection, but yeah. Um, and I just was staring at that thing for probably like, I mean, in all reality, it was probably 10 seconds. I was just staring at this thing and just like seeing that four missed calls, four missed calls. Uh, but in, in my mind, I would, that was like an eternity an eternity and that 100% would have killed me and my buddy. And what we were talking about was different pays. I was like, Hey man, did your extra pays get started? Cause when you go on deployment, you get the tax-free money, you get hazardous fire, imminent danger. So I'm literally asking my buddy, right. We're on a dismounted patrol in Afghanistan and we don't have trucks. We don't have it. Well, like what we have is what we have on our bodies. And I'm literally asking him about hazardous fire pay and imminent yeah. danger on foot in Afghanistan in the middle of the day on an operation when I should have been laser focused on my job as a bomb technician. Um, 
But I needed to know that because I was like, man, I got these bills coming up. And at this point, it's not even subconsciously like taking up bandwidth in my mind. I'm speaking this out loud. So it is on the forefront of my mind. It is in the world because I'm talking about it. And it's like, man, I hope we get these pays soon because I have this mortgage that I got to pay that I've been paying with this credit card that I've been paying off that credit card with this credit card. I was doing the shell game, like Robin Peter to pay Paul. And that is not okay. You know, I got lucky in that situation that we had some countermeasures that we had and we got lucky how we got lucky. Um, that's what it boils down to. I got lucky and I got lucky for a reason. And I believe that reason is to share that distracted nature. And we are all, we, we really think that we're really good at carpent, um, well, I can't even say this word compartmentalizing yeah. our, our stuff. Right. It's like, Oh, I just had this argument. I can, I can put that away. I just had this argument or I just had like this bill due. I'm just going to put that away. It's like, I'm waiting for this check team. I'll just put that away for now. So I can be a professional and focus on my job where now it's like, or I can, I can compartmentalize my job and focus on my family and my friends. I'm just here to tell you, yeah, right. You can only do that for so long. Everything is porous, everything. And what happened to me, I just kind of lose sleep at night still thinking about it when I'm like, man, how many other service members out there were in the same boat that did not get lucky? Yeah. They were they were so focused on something else instead of their job. And then they paid the price for it or someone else paid the price for it. And that is a statistic that we're probably never going to know because yeah. I don't know how you're ever going to get that data, but it just keeps me up at night because I looked around and I was not the exception to anything. I was a standard. The Mark one mod O is what we call that. The standard issue minted version of me. Like that was everyone, right? That was everyone. And that didn't sit right with me. So and it wasn't even until like a couple of years after that, where a buddy of mine sat down, he like, he was all about budgeting and everything like that and wouldn't shut up about it. I'm like, dude, no one cares about your budget. Like, just stop talking about it. And I was kind of a jerk to him, but he's like, dude, this is a game changer, man. It's awesome. Like you got to get your, you got to get your budget game up. I was like, dude, I will sit down with you and do this. If you promise me to stop talking about it. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever, man. Let's good sales, it. man. Got you. Yeah. And seriously, and man, it was in that, that hour of my life was what changed everything that it was then, uh, I wish it was after, um, that incident that I was talking about, but it wasn't, it was this dude, um, dear friend of mine sat down with me, spent an hour of his time helping me who was being a jerk to him, get my budget lined out. I'm like, I saw that for the first time in my adult life. I was like, this is what's wrong with everything. This is why I'm so stressed out. This is why I'm baseline super anxious. This is why I am short with everyone. This is why my relationships are blowing up. This is why, man, I didn't burn bridges. I just like dropped JDAM, like Mark 82 bombs, just like detonated bridges. And it was because I was so worried about paying bills. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time for anything. That was always in the back of my mind running constantly constantly in the background, background refresh all day, every day. And that takes up a, a lot of your bandwidth. And if I need hundred percent of my focus, my bandwidth, it's impossible to have. I have at best 75% at best. And that's saying nothing else in my life is going on. That means the relationship that I just blew up, 
um, or that argument with my teammate that I had that was totally like didn't need to happen. Yeah. Um, that's on that's on my mind too now. Um, so now my bandwidth is further decreased, and that is going on, you know. And and a lot of people are like, well, you know, I've never been face to face with an ID, or it's like that's you know how's that applicable to me? And it's like that what I alluded to earlier is like translating this and how it actually is applicable to clients where you don't have to be face-to-face with a literal IED that right down the road. Yeah. That could be your kid, that kid, your kid could be that IED, your husband, wife, whoever, your boss, coworkers, your team, they could be that IED. And if you are not paying attention to it, it's going to blow up in your face. Yeah. You could be, you could be riding down the street. And you're yep. distracted and I mean, and you're in a game uh, over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Game, and I don't, yeah. Well, I was going to say to talk about the compartmentalizing piece you were talking about, I've always been told it's like bowling balls in a closet and we like to put them away and think, ah, I'd be, I'll deal with it later. But eventually you can, that fit, you can fit them in there. Eventually, you know, you can fit mm-hmm. some in there for sure. Yep. But a second you open that closet and there, and it, there will come a day where you have to, uh, you have to face the music at that point. And then also you, you mentioned that one hour talk that y'all had biggest takeaway you took from that conversation, other than I got to get my finances in order. Like what was the biggest like nugget that like aha moment you had from that conversation? It was the fact that he was willing to serve me in that time. One hour he sat with me and was just walking with me. He wasn't in a place of judgment. I mean, and I was this guy's LPO, right? His leading petty officer. So in the Navy, that's like the, you know, the, the, whatever, the senior E6 on the, on the team. Right. Um, and he was a new guy and he was just a really good friend of mine. Um, you know, he's just like, I mean, that's just our community. It's like, you know, we kind of like, we do have a rank structure. However, at the end of the day, it's like, we have a job to do and we need to get that done first. And so it's like, you know, yeah. He, I mean, this guy, he was a little bit older and he had a career and everything like that um, before he came in. Um, so yeah, we just kind of, you know, he's a good friend of mine. And that that's the biggest takeaway is time is our most precious commodity. And how we spend it is very important. And we have to be as intentional as I have been talking about, like with money and everything, like we have to be intentional with our time. Because 100%. if we just sit down with someone for an hour, that is hurting, you might not even know how badly they're hurting. That could change the trajectory of their entire life. Yeah. It, it's kind of crazy too, because we started this with our five rounds and I asked you what gives you meaning and you said serve others. And here we are talking about that turning point in your life. It was somebody helping you, someone taking that time to sit down with you. So really full circle here um, with your story. And that brings us to the Live Free series. So now, if for all of our listeners, first of all, if you have not checked out Live Free series, you need to go check it out. Uh, right now, it's still in its little podcast infancy stage. You're still kind of peeing on newspapers. Um, we're getting ready for a relaunch. Yeah. How many episodes? Like at, at the time we're recording this, we're recording this uh, just behind peek behind the curtain. It's March 24th that we're recording this episode. How many episodes have you dropped up to this point? Maybe five. On, on the Lima Charlie Network, uh, by the way. Yes, on the Lima Charlie Network, where you can find a series of great podcasts and individuals and thought leaders for the record. Yeah, um, there's our five. Plug. 
So five episodes. Okay. And what day do they come out? They come out. So typically every other Wednesday. Um, However, my last one was February 9th, which is a great episode. Um, I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus again on that time aspect. Time is our most precious commodity that we have. Um, I just had to be real with myself. It's like, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on right now and I need to devote my time to other things. And I have a lot of episodes kind of queued up. Um, However, just the timing wasn't right. However, that is all squared away. We're getting ready to relaunch and it is going to be insane. So yeah, yeah, stay tuned. It's it's awesome stuff you're doing. I love your series. I've been listening to them since the first one came out. But for our listeners who have not heard an episode yet, and they're like, man, this guy's got a good voice I like this. I want to check out more about his story and about everything he's doing. Tell us like, kind of the synopsis of what the Live Free series consists of. So the Live Free series is a very simple concept. I'm a very simple man, if you guys weren't picking that up. Um, it is, what does freedom mean to you? Why does that matter? And I like to talk about with my guests a time in their lives where they had a toxic mentality or a self-limiting belief that kept them from that definition of freedom. And what the goal is, we're trying to eradicate enslaved mindsets, right? Because from our conversation trip, I mean, from right from the get-go it's like yeah my teacher it's like you need to apply yourself more and mm-hmm. that was my own mind like that was me being my own worst enemy right yeah. and we do that time and time and time again um so this show it's people from all different walks of life um military civilian retired otherwise um all different socioeconomic backgrounds different colors creeds religions whatever you know whatever flavor they come in i, I take them all and I just want to know what freedom means to people because at the end of the day, everyone should be serving their purpose. And if you're not free and freedom to me means doing the things you love with the people you love when you want to, as often as you want, obviously within the constraints of the law, I have to say that full disclaimer. Um, So if you are not doing, and I'm not saying that is what everyone's definition of freedom is because everyone may have a different opinion or a different definition, what freedom means to them, which is super important to me. So if you are not living within your definition of freedom, you are a slave to something or someone. And that can only be answered by you. Um, I can't tell you that. Your friends can't tell you that. Your parents can't tell you that. Your family can't tell you that. They have an outside opinion for sure. And they'll let you know unsolicited, I'm sure. However, at the end of the day, what does freedom mean to you? Why does that matter? And if you're not living with that, you are a slave to someone or something. And I want everyone to know that they can live with freedom, right? I was able to be an enslaved, toxic, everything. Mind, I had self-limiting beliefs, toxic mindset, toxic mentality. I had it all. And it was up to me to change that. And I just want everyone to know that they can do it too. If I can do it, Anyone can do it. Yeah, I love the concept of your podcast. We started talking, I think, what, what right before you launched your first one? Yeah. You were actually the catalyst because I was like, yeah, I got this idea. I've had it. And you're like, why don't you just do it? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like I said, I've been a fan of you since, since you started with it. Um, and I guess I'm like your day one in podcasting. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, 
love the show on Instagram at the live free series, go on there, go follow him on Instagram and then uh, check out website, LinkedIn. I mean, we, we mentioned the Lima Charlie network, head over to LimaCharlieNetwork.com. go over there. You can find him as well. But what do you want? You know, you, you mentioned wife and kids 50 years from now, when your grandchildren are talking about you, what do you want them to say? It's mainly what I don't want them to say. If I don't hear them talking about how, you know, they have to do this because it's like what society deems that they should do. Um, that would be gold, right? Yeah. I don't, I want to live in a society where, uh, a majority of our country isn't living paycheck to paycheck. I want to live in a society where people are serving for their purpose there. They have, and they're embracing that freedom and they're living for it every day. And that's where I want my great grandkids to be a part of. I want, I want, I want to see them there. Um, and if they say, you know, I, I love spending time with you whenever I can, when I want to, when I want to, you know, it's like, that'd be great. You know, whatever. I don't know. I don't even know. I can't even imagine that. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about my sons now. I like how you went straight to great grandkids. <laughs> That's right. Well, final, final thing before we get going, because I just thought of this. As of the time we're recording this, our nation is struggling with some, some finance, especially gas prices, gas oh, prices. Yeah are at a ridiculous amount. What budgeting, like a little, what little freebie do you have for people out there in terms of, uh, I mean, I, I saw like on the news today, people were frozen pizzas and stuff are what toilet paper was two years ago when the pandemic kicked off. Uh, gas prices. I, I can only imagine in California what they are considering how, what they are here in Alabama. What free nugget would you give people out there for uh, how to properly handle their finances in this, this, these trying times financially? I will give this bit of free advice, but I will give it with a disclaimer that while it's free advice, it is hard work. So that's the difference between winning with money and having the illusion that you're wealthy. Um, and that is you have to be intentional with your money. If you don't use a written budget, you need to use a written budget, like get one down tonight, write down your expenses. And it's a zero, uh, zero based budget is what I teach. So that is all of your expenses and all, so all of your income minus all of your expenses equals zero. And whether that you're contributing to your retirement or a different savings account or whatever the case may be, those are all expenses. So your income minus your expenses should equal zero at the end of the day. If it is negative, something needs to change, right? Something needs to get cut. If it's positive, you're, you have money just not doing something. So get, give it a job, right? Give every single dollar you have a job to do. Um, and that's the difference of having a budget and not having a budget where a lot of people I talk to is like, oh, budget, it's so constricting and I don't want it and I don't like it. It's actually, it gives you freedom because you know exactly how much money you have and you know exactly where every single dollar is going. So now you have the choice if you're like, man, I want to go out more. Um, if that's the case, if it's appropriate, you'd be like, well, I spend a lot of money on these subscriptions that I don't, that I don't use, or man, I buy three monsters every single day and three cans of dip or whatever. And that adds up to a lot of money. 
like hundreds of dollars I'm talking. Like if you invested the, the equivalent price of a monster in a dip can, um, you, every you taking a jab at me, boom, there you go. <laughs> Mine's a ghost. I mean, I do it's it not too. a monster. I, I do it too. Yeah. Um, you know, cause sometimes you just need that boost, but you know, it's like do other things like sleep hygiene, which I'm terrible at and I'm trying to get better at that. So yeah, boom, there's one for me, but yeah, the budget is huge. I don't want to, I don't want to go off on too many tangents, do the budget, write down your expenses, write down all your income. They should equal zero at the end of the day. So that means you're paying all your bills first, the four walls, which is, um, your food, right? You have to eat. And that doesn't mean out. That means the grocery store. So maybe frozen pizzas are all gone. Go to the next aisle over, um, get something cheap. That's, I mean, you can, you can very easily get healthy, nutritious food for uh, a low amount of money at the end of the day, that is way cheaper than, and if that's your, your gripe, it's like fast food is not, not healthy, right? It's not healthy. So, um, shop the grocery, uh, shop the grocery store outside aisles, um, get your food budget squared away because at the end of the day, like you have to eat to live. The second wall is your housing. So that's making sure your house is good to go. Your mortgage or your rent is paid and any insurance that you have, like whether that's renters uh, or otherwise utilities, make sure those are squared away. The third wall is transportation. Make sure your vehicles are good to go. Inspections, if you need them, if, if, you're, if you're in a state that requires inspection, tires are not an emergency. You know when they're going to wear out, okay? Oil changes are not an emergency. You know when your oil is going to need to be changed. Mm-hmm. These things are not emergencies. Um, plan for them. Brakes not an emergency. Sometimes they go out of round if you have drums or whatever, but that's, I mean, that, and that, if that's the case, call me up and we'll figure it out. Right. I'll give you a, a plan to do that. But typically car maintenance is not an emergency. It's, it's, it's a, there's a very, very detailed plan in your, in probably in your, um, in your owner's manual that will tell you exactly the maintenance schedule of your vehicle. Um, use it. That'll save you tons of money. And then, uh, the last one, I say is communication, especially right now in this day and age. So that's your phone, internet, um, because we have to stay connected. I mean, we're talking to each other. I'm in Virginia beach. You're in Alabama. We need to stay connected. Um, especially, you know, a lot of people are working from home, so that's hugely important. So make sure those are taken care of first. Anything outside of that is arguably, um, an unnecessary expense out, you know, with the exception of, you know, uh, childcare and stuff like that. Those are obviously uh, necessary expenses, um, outside of the four walls. But that is like one of the biggest things that I can harp on right now, especially with the rising prices of gas. I've gotten this question a lot. It's like, man, my gas, my gas amount, like I'm spending so much money. I guess I'm like, well, how much are you spending? It's like, I don't even know. It's just like so much money. Like, well, write it down, write it down, write down how much you're spending on gas. Um, That way you actually know and write down how much you're spending on everything else. That way you can cut other things to make up that cost. Um, you know, like I'm paying, I'm, my gas prices are doubled too. I got three cars, you know, and my gas prices are doubled on all three of them. Um, so this is where it's like, you need to have this flexibility in your budget. And now when you have that freedom and it's like, control your money, find your freedom. That's my thing, right? Control your money, find your freedom. Cause when you can have a double gas price, you know, in your budget, then you just allocate things appropriately. And then cool. It's like, yeah, it's an inconvenience. Like, yeah, I I'm upset that I have to pay this much for gas. It's not ruining my life though. Back in the day, this would have been catastrophic for Mm -hmm. me. This would have been absolutely catastrophic. So I don't want anyone to think that I ever coach from like a position of like, I'm on the, I'm on the pulpit and I'm pointing my finger at you. I was there. 
I feel the pain. I had to plan going back up to Syracuse near where I, where I'm from based off of how I could fill my tank up. Um, because like it was, I had a truck, a brand new truck. I was that guy. I was that E4 or E3. I actually bought my truck when I was an E3 because I was graduating EOD school. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get this bonus. And then it was, I spent it before I even got it. Um, little did I know this thing about taxes. So my bonus was not as large as I thought it was going to be. So yeah, E3, bought a brand new truck. Um, was awesome interest rate, rate, probably like 19% or something. I will say I had a decent interest rate. It was like 5.9, but I'm never doing that ever again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> never doing that ever again. That car was $10,000 more than I made in a year. Yeah. Yeah. I was like in E-nothing. So it was like, what? I was making like maybe 25000 a year, maybe um, back in 09. And yeah, I mean, that truck was $38,000 back in the day. That's what you get a full-size truck for back in the day. Nowadays, that's not going to get you a, a, you know, a, a car. But um, yeah, that's like the biggest thing that I can say is just be intentional with your money. Write it down. It's a behavior aspect of money. There's a lot of behavior that is associated with money. And that's what we focus on when we talk personal finance is the behavioral aspects of money. We don't sell magic pills. We don't sell financial products that are going to make you millions of dollars. We encourage you and implore you to take control of your money, to find your freedom. So then you can do the things you love with the people you love when you want to, as often as you want. See, that was good. That was good. Sparked something there. That was good. Heck yeah. Uh, I get fired up. Yeah. No, <laughs> folks, one more time, go check him out. Live Free Series, everything he's doing over with Golden Compass. Jay, what final comments do you have for our Shadows listeners? Man, I just appreciate you having me on trip and um, just know I was in the shadows and I know a lot of you are probably in the shadows and you have your own shadows. Um, it's not permanent. You don't have to stay there. You know, if you're in the shadow of a building, you just walk out of the shadow and you're good. I know that is way easier said than done because um, I've been in that pit of disparity where there's nothing but shadows. Embrace and, it. Yeah you you can get out of there it's not permanent yep just part of your story just part yep. of your story it'll be a chapter in your book exactly well thank you so much for being a chapter here on the shadows podcast for contributing sharing your story and thank you for opening up uh and sharing that moment that you had as well with us folks that is going to conclude this episode of the shadows podcast